Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to the weekly Manchester United show. I'm yours as always, Phil Brandt, with my regular co-host, The Accident, James Rhodes, on this Monday morning here in Los Angeles, and it is biblical, pouring rain outside. I'm sure you're all heartbroken for me. Nonetheless, uh, since the last time we recorded this, mate, we have had two wins. Um, two very entertaining wins, seven goals in both those games. Lots of positives, as usual with United. There's, uh, it's not always a positive. There's a couple of things in there. The Martinez injury, that uh, is a big concern, and um, certain things happen in the Wolves game. We'll touch on that a little bit too, um, since we haven't done a podcast since then. Um, that uh, you are concerning, you know. Uh, but lots and lots of positives. Kabi Mainu being one of those absolutely incredible, and of course. Rasmus Hoyland, lots of other things. So, uh, first of all, Nate, how was your weekend? Yeah, not bad, not bad. We had we had some good weather, some uh, some good, I say, very snowy weather for a mm. bit as well. But uh, it's nice, you know. There was good weekends with, um, you know, with uh, without United, and I was concerned when they came back that getting back to that feeling, mm. you know, of disappointment <laughs> that. Mm. Uh, pervades the time around the united game but uh it's been better it's been better so it hasn't hasn't ruined the weekend anymore which is which is a nice thing to happen the last time we recorded this podcast i'd said that i felt that if ten hag lost these games i don't think he would survive um he's won both those games um and uh we'll have to be fair there was a lot of positives i think it goes without saying james that one of the things you can say with cert high degree of certainty is how much the injuries have affected. Ten Hag United, they've looked a lot better since players came back. I think the two-week break helped them. I think the fact that the first game back from that two-week break was Newport away helped them because it allowed United to get a little bit of match sharpness with the being in games where they're not as, uh, you know, 100% with, with match sharpness. They're, they're still feeling their way into games. and. They were able to win that game, score four. I felt that the goal against Newport was going to help Hoyland. Uh, they come into Wolves in a very similar game to Newport um, and score four again. And I think, you know, Casemiro has been really helpful to United. I think he's improved. Uh, obviously, Lissandro Martinez, absolutely huge. That Wolves game, in some sense, reminded me a bit of the Sevilla game and that United were coasting. Martinez comes off and then defensively the roof collapses. Same again against Wolves. Martinez come off and concede two. I don't think there was anyone when Kilman scored didn't think Wolves were going to get the equaliser. Um, yeah. uh, again, I think Onana was poor in that game. I thought he was all right uh, on Saturday, but um, you know, lots of things that were still consistently concerning. But nonetheless, it's been a really, really positive um, week for United. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you have three wins in a row. You're scoring, what is it, uh, 11 goals across the three games yeah. now? Yeah. Uh, you keep a clean sheet at home against West Ham, who are above United in the table, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's still a results business, and there's a lot of things that have not necessarily been working, that are that are still problematic or worrisome, but it's an improvement. It's a real improvement. It's an improvement that is desperately needed, and and results that are desperately needed too. Because 
you know, regardless of everything, what happens rest of the season, what happens in the summer, it would be better if United were able to get into the Champions League and we're coming off of this year, not on a complete downslope. I mean, I, I think it's past time to think that it's going to be a good season no matter what happens, but it could be improved from the state of things the last month. And, and that would be, I mean, if, if we can squeeze our way into the Champions League again, I think it makes a big a big yeah. difference. So, you know, I'm 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 not really expecting to see all the problems solved and the stylistic issues and things like that to be fixed this season. I it's February. I mean, usually you're not seeing progression in February and March. You're seeing you just grinding the results out by this point in the year. And uh, to some degree, that's fine. You know, if, if we can let the talent of the players that we have carry the team um, to win enough games to get there, then I won't complain about that for the rest of the season. would be okay with me. I mean, I think this weekend, we'll get into that a little bit later, is huge for United. If they can yeah. go to Villa and get a win, uh, I think they'll get enormous momentum from that. I think it will convince the players that this is different from the many revivals they've had before, that there's momentum there, that um, I think um, this is going to be a key weekend for United and their players to convince themselves that they really are, uh, you know, moving forward in Champions League is a, is realistic. But go back to the, the, the games, obviously, Bobby Manny deserves to be singled out. There's a couple of things about this, um, James. First of all, I think Ten Hag deserves credit for actually keeping Manny on the pitch the entire game because it would have been tempting to take him off uh to keep him on the entire game and once again one of the most impressive things about him is his composure maturity and he picks that ball up uh he i, I, I don't know who it was he made but he not makes uh it was uh, one of the woods players then lovely balance cuts across the player and instead of just lathering it I mean, it's a brilliant video if you want to coach kids on how to finish. Pass the ball into the net. He just curls that ball around Jose Sa, puts a ball in the bottom corner, and maybe, without being dramatic, save Ten Hag's job because I don't know if he needed to go out and beat West Ham 3-0 if they throw that game away. I think it would have been demoralising for United. We've seen them do this so many times, um, but they were able to win that game, and... They they won it with what is to me one of the most exciting young players to come through the academy probably since Mason Greenwood I would say, um, just a, a magnificent footballer that fills me with so much hope for the future and um, look I, I think that you know there's obviously other other areas that you can pick things apart you know defensively United once again you know porous really poor I thought. Nana shouldn't have been beat on his near post. I thought his positioning wasn't great. Anthony giving the ball away twice for, for 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 those goals. Big concern still, but the focus on the positives. I mean, three of United's four goal scorers at Wolves were out of United's academy. I mean, this so rarely happens anymore at the, at the highest level. Yeah, it, it is a real positive. And it's exactly those players that you look at and think, we could build for the future around them. We could see something special around them. They've got the temperament. They have the ability. They have the, the focus, and and they have a, you know everything you'd want out of United. And and so yeah, those were really the positives 
about it. Um, you know, uh, that moment, you know, is something where it is uplifting. And at mm. the same time, you look at it and say, <laughs> not to be pessimistic about it, but why is it taking, you know, an 18 year old to be the one to grab the game by the throat and do that, you know? Uh, can, but, but at the same time, there's a lot of players subbed off by that point in time. A lot of the first teamers, uh, the players who started the game and all of that, but, uh, either way, you know, it, it's the type of thing you want to see, especially from a midfielder, from somebody who can control a game, who could take it over and do it in a way that I think many of us hoped, you know, for years that Paul Pogba would do when he was here, just take a game and do something with it. Um, there's been comparisons to him. Obviously, they're totally different size, Kavi Manu and Paul Pogba, but in certain attributes that they have in their ability to manipulate the ball, manipulate their the defense, the the talent, and kind of the composure that they had. Uh, it's the type of thing you would hope, you know, that was always hoped that Paul Pogba could come in and be that person who can control a, a game, who can do these types of things and make these kinds of moments. And they were far too infrequent you know but i think with copy my new there's something really special there and uh and it was a it was a good it was kind of um the wolves came aside from all the defensive errors obviously as well a lot of confidence for mm. rasmus hoyland marcus rashford and alejandro ganacho playing together yeah um and scoring goals and as a three making things happen and that continued into west ham yeah look to me, you, there's two ways of looking at that. With the money thing, yeah, well, why is it taking an 18-year-old? Or you can say it's fantastic that an 18-year-old can do that. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. we see this, you know, Barcelona with Pedri, Gavi, you know, mm -hmm. they have these exceptional young players that come in that can change games. Um, I think for United, I think in many ways, it's just a major compliment to Kabi Menu that he had that composure to be able to do that. And probably one of the few players on the pitch that could actually do that. Um, obviously, some of the other positives. Rasmus Horland gets a goal from an early ball across the box, and you know, in some sense, one of the similarities was with that game with Newport is they don't kill the game. They have unbelievable opportunities. Don't kill the game. Keep keep Wolves alive. They come back into the game. This is a, an issue. Um, but we've seen that Horland get occupied that position so many times. The ball doesn't come. You could see. The, the that having Luke Shaw at left back is also a massive plus for Rasmus Hoyland because he will do those he will get those overlaps with Rashford put the ball in early that's going to help Hoyland. Um, Rashford played like a guy that had a point to prove. I think that obviously what he did in Belfast was stupid. And when we were recording this podcast last week, I said the he should just come out and apologize and move on. And by the time we had published the podcast, United had let out a statement and said, you know, accept responsibility. That's it. I think one of the things that was also very different about that was how United handled that. It was a very short, terse statement. There was no dragged out stuff. There was no, you know, speculation from the week. An internal issue. It's done. Move on. Now, these are things that United should have been doing a long time ago. Um, some of the coverage was absurd. Uh, I mean, the, some of the coverage that they give, I, I don't want to compare, you know, it's just an illustration of uh, you know, the difference between United and City. Right about the same time, Kyle Walker's doing an interview about a deeply personal issue that, um, to me, is more character defining 
than what Marcus Rashford did. And it almost got lost, you know, in, in the noise between Marcus Rashford and Rico. Stupid decision. By the way, James, a stupid decision that's been made by millions of footballers throughout the history of the sport. We just didn't get to hear about it. You know, football, human beings do stupid things. Sometimes Marcus came back, played like he had a point to prove. And when he plays like that, he's unplayable. I, I, I thought that uh, even on Saturday where it, you could see he was visibly frustrated with himself for some of the things that didn't go right. Um, and uh, he, he, he played, I, I thought he played really well. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree for sure. And, and I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is that uh, the, the crime of the matter is that United aren't winning. And, uh, and that's really it. You know, when it comes, when, when we look at it, I said, you know, we've talked about that, like you said, with a lot of footballers doing it, you know, Paul Scholes some people, you know, dug up his thing, doing an interview with Gary Neville talking about how he would, you do they basically has done the same thing many times and that's just the product of the environment that he came from you know that uh, the drinking before every night before games doesn't matter um things like that it happens but they were winning and so you know that's really the crime of it you know some of it there's the city united bias there's some of it is you know a lot of people online and all of that will say well yeah but kyle walker's winning a treble he's a footballer so that's all that really matters they're performing they're winning and there's truth in that too um you know, but you're judging, judging the act, right? exactly but that so is the problem right? it, you know, you're talking so about that as a person yeah. sorry man yeah i mean if a player does this with a team bottom yep. of the league is he any more you know culpable than than someone who does the top of the league you I mean to me nope. it's like not okay, as a person you know, because Marcus Rice isn't entirely responsible for whether you needed one or not. That's a collective responsibility. No. But anyway, sorry. Right. No, but that's my point is that that is how it's, I think it it's taken to people. But, you know, it goes to show, I don't, it, you know, yes, off the pitch things can affect how somebody's performing, but I think people tie the assumption and there's a lot of confirmation bias that goes into it. When someone isn't performing, they think, oh, I see them doing this. That's why. But there's a lot of people who are performing who do the same thing. And so it's not really connected, but people want to connect it. Um, either way, I agree. I think he came out against Wolves with a with a point to prove and was exceptional, was incredibly aggressive. Um, I think that it's very amusing to watch him because you can you can see that some of the stuff about him not happy, not having fun, not wanting to play football anymore, not enjoying it, these types of things. There may be personal things that are going on in all of that, but I think he sort of almost was uh, making a point about that in some of the moments in the game, um, smiling with the teammates, enjoying it with them, all of that. But those are all good things you want to see. Mm -hmm. And I think he is having a lot of fun with it. And I thought it was a little bit funny, too, the way the narrative had went, because come the Wolves game, that was his fifth game in a row with a goal contribution and his third mm -hmm. game in a row scoring in the Premier League. And mm -hmm. you would have thought, by the way things were said, that, you know, he hadn't scored in three months or something like yeah. that and was totally out of form. And even though he didn't at, at West Ham, I thought it was a, a really good game from him again. And the combination of those players together works. It doesn't require one of them, all three of them to be perfect at any point in time. Um, it's, it's, it's creating such a threat in defenses that they can all have a little bit more room, which is what you want, because it's very rare that you have all three of your forwards perfect every game and scoring and 
finishing all their chances and perfect passes and things like that. But the decisions are so much better. The interplay is better. And it's creating enough chances to get goals. I mean, I think, James, when you consider what Ericsson Hogg should have had in his front three, he should have had Mason Greenwood, Jaden Sancho, and you know Marcus Rashford. Two of those players he doesn't have due to their own issues that Ten Hag was never really allowed to replace. Um, had they their personal lives been different or certain circumstances been different, I mean, those are huge players. Would look completely different. And, of course, given some of the challenges United have had getting the, a, a striker, I think that has had, you know, I think it's underestimated the impact that has had on United on the fact yeah. that they are, this is, you know, they don't have the resources anymore to replace those types of players. Um, obviously, Mason had already been suspended by the time um, Ten Hag came. So, but um, he was under the impression that he was going, Greenwood was going to be uh, integrated mm-hmm. back into the squad over the summer. Of course, that didn't happen. Um, not easy to replace those young players. I think, you know, the, the the positive, like we said, is the fact that in this day and age where academies are essentially nothing more than FFP supplements, it's brilliant to see still top football clubs like Manchester United and other top clubs before, but, but mainly clubs like United. Other clubs that are playing young players are buying these young players. They're not bringing them through the academy. It's great to see that there's still a pathway into the first team. I never want that to change at United. Um, this season has been brutal at times, mm. but if you want to pick out the positives, for me, a lot of the positives come from academy players. The Garnacho goal, whatever, yeah. just out of this yep. world, right? You know, a um, couple of McTominay late winners. Um, the, uh, of course, the emergence of of Kobe Mainu, um, which is you know that that Wolves goal, mate. Honestly. Um, I jumped up so fast, uh, did the worry perch. Don't straight out on the carpet and 10 seconds later. But um, <laughs> just incredible. So very, very positive. Some of the other positives, mate, um, you know, we talk about Garnacho. Yeah. This kid scores two again at the weekend, right? And I don't want to praise Garnacho by, by by criticizing another United player. But it's, to me, blatantly obvious that Garnacho on the right, Rashford on the left, Holland down the middle, is United's best forward then, right? And Garnacho is more two-footed than Anthony. So it makes him a bit more unpredictable. Mm-hmm. He can cut in on his left. You saw him do it against Villa. You've seen him do it before. He can cut in on his left. He'll score goals. And it's much harder for a, a left back to know what Garnacho is going to do. He can put the ball in early. He can score a variety of different goals. Um, and you're starting to look at this kid now, and you're going, you know, maybe he gets the credit he deserves amongst United fans, but Garnacho really should be being talked about as one of the best 19 year olds in the game. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and what you're saying is totally correct because if you look at the scores. Uh, in December for United, Newcastle zero against Chelsea. We scored two, and that was like a really great game, right? That was like the best game all month. Zero against Bournemouth, zero against Bayern, zero against Liverpool, zero yeah. against West Ham. Mm-hmm. Garnacho comes in on the right side with Rashford and Hoyland starting against Aston Villa. United come back from two down. 
three goals that game, one goal against Forest, two goals against Wigan, two goals against Tottenham, four against Newport, four against Wolves, three against West Ham. And that is the singular main change in the team during that period of time oh. is Garnacho coming in on that right side and playing there opposite to, to Marcus Rashford for most of, if not all of those games, minus one that Rashford was out for Newport, right? Um, that's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And, you know, a couple of the factors of it are one. Yeah. Like you said, he's a bit more two footed. The other factors he's, He's just a far more physical player for the Premier League. He's got incredible tools. When you look at the speed of those three players, Rashford, Hoyland, and Garnacho, I think they're probably the fastest front three in England right now uh, when you look at it. I mean, Rashford Hoyland is incredibly quick, Rashford as we know, and Garnacho is fast. I mean, they are fast. And, and to have to contend with that, and, and one of the complaints I think we'd all seen with regards to Anthony is, you know, one of the strengths of United is this play in transition. If you look at the goals mostly being scored, they're still mostly being scored in transition. We're not parked outside West Ham's box, you know, crossing it around for, for an hour. They're still mostly scored in transition, which is fine to me. I, I don't actually have a complaint about it. It suits the team. But they're mostly quick moves up the field. Um, and you don't have any of them slowing it down and stopping it and going one direction and waiting and waiting and waiting, but really attacking the defense before they can set. And that's why they're getting so many open looks because they just, they go at them and they go at them and they go at them and, uh, and they're not prepared. And, and it is a huge testament to, to Garnacho because, you know, he started the season, I think pretty poor and has worked and worked and worked and continued. And he has not lost the aggression that I think is necessary to become a successful scorer in the Premier League. I think it requires a level of continuing to go at it despite the challenges you face and, and what you're going to run into in the physicality over and over and over again. And um, he's got a, he's got the right mental fortitude for it as well on top of everything else. So really, really impressed with him at this point in time. And I think you could say it solves a big problem because – if you walked into next season with that as your starting front three, I wouldn't be unhappy. I think you need more players for the front three, but I wouldn't be unhappy, you know, well, if you rebuilt the rest of the team behind them. Let me get to that because this yeah. gives you a bit of a dilemma to me with Hoyland. It's not an easy one to fix. So Erasmus Hoyland, um, excellent young striker, Faintness form, very, very exciting. One, some of the things that I love about Holland is his variety. Is he can score all different types of goals, score from outside the box. He's got good feet. He's quick. I mean, even his assist for Rashford at Wolves, I thought he took it really well back to goal. You know, moves his feet well, lays it off, being good. Um, you know, if you look at the goalie scores against Wolves, bloody ball across, top in, right? The goalie scores against West Ham, very different. The goalie scores mm -hmm. against Spurs, very different. You know, the goalie scores against Villa, very different. Um, he this Champions League goals. So he has a lot of variety to him. Um, he's quick. He, you know, he's the type of player that um, doesn't have to be, that Cavani would be a number nine, you know, anywhere in the box. But Hoyland, as we even saw against Galatasaray, you know, you give him a ball in the halfway, and then he gets a run on your defender. You know, he's got the, the the pace to beat him. So he's very, very exciting. Now he becomes the part, okay, you need another striker. If you sign 
a top striker like Ivan Tony, you're to me you're going to set Hoyland back because Hoyland is not can't go from starting pretty much every week in his first season scoring goals and then being somewhat demoted to second striker. Um, I think he needed need to learn a little bit about the Martial situation because when his second season happened, and United brought in Ibrahimovic, changed his number, everything, you know, that caused a problem. So with Hoyland, do you send uh, a top-class striker, in which case uh, it's going to, in my opinion, uh, prohibit his development? Do you send a young striker um, who's going to accept playing back up to him? Or do you send an experienced striker? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the right thing to do is. Lazio United fans don't want another 33-year-old striker. Um, I, I, I'm not sure how you need to solve this problem. Yeah, I mean, because, uh, yeah, for sure. And, and the truth of it is you there's a little bit of a time crunch as well. We know, you know, you don't want to wait until summer to be able to decide what positions you're targeting, what players you're buying. That's how I get in the kind of trouble we've been in for years that that yeah. we can't make those moves until June and even start in June and not sign players till July. It is a challenge because you'd really like to see how Rastos Hoyland can keep this up. Mm-hmm. But I think that part of it is 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 that it comes down to a decision of where do they think this team is at and how long until they're competing? Because if you say, Next year, we need to win titles. You probably do have to sign a very good proven striker like Ivan Tony into the team. You probably do. Um, well, let me ask you that, James. How many top clubs, this is this is a genuine question, yeah. have two world-class central strikers? Yeah, very few. I mean, yeah. City have Holland and and, uh, and and Alvarez right now. That's well, maybe Holland's not world-class well. yet to say that. Yeah. No, I I know exactly what you're saying. It is an odd thing because, you know, usually, yeah, you would be bringing someone like Hoyland in when you're phasing out an older player who is successful in that area. Like you look at Liverpool have replaced Mane and Firmino with the forwards that they've signed to come in to where now they've got kind of four that they like to use. Uh, for main forwards that they would like to to use at any given time. And that's pretty normal. I mean, you know, Madrid would move their players around, but, you know, uh, it's rare. It is very rare to have two. And so I would agree with you. Having both Hoyland and Ivan Tony to me is doesn't really make sense in the long term. It's kind of like we really need players right now to 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 win things, and we just want to load up on – having the best options available, but it's, it is weird. It is a really weird situation because you take the, the wing, I think on the wings, because they're flexible, you can get away with quite a bit more. You know, you have Rashford and Garnacho on the opposite wings. You bring another winger in, they can swap sides pretty easily. And so you have a, you have more redundancy there. There's a lot of games to go around. You can still have three wingers playing 40, 50 games. But you're not gonna get that with the striker. You're gonna have them, you know. Somebody's playing 15, you know, at most, and the other one is playing the rest. And and it's like, is 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 Hoyland? I guess the decision is: is Hoyland good enough that we can say, yeah, we want him to play the 30, 40, 40 games next year, and we want somebody to only play 15. 
That's the I decision. Think United need a striker that can play in the left or play in the right, so that yeah. they get enough games, right? So that you get a player that you know has some flexibility. He's not an out and out number nine that can give you some variety on the left or right. Because obviously, with Holland, if he gets injured, you're you're in big trouble, right? Um, but think if you get, I mean, Ivan Tony would be a brilliant player for United. I, I, would, I would love him at United. Um, I'm just not sure how it helps Hoyland at this point to have someone starting ahead of him. We're interested to see how the rest of the season goes. Um, any of us should have the t- their feet on the desk here in about another week or two, officially. Uh, the rate of change at United has been uh, the speed of light. Lots of things happening. And certainly one of the things to me that's very different is uh, the threshold between what, 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 where United will let a player go. And it seems to me, I look at someone like Aaron Wan-Bissaka, supposedly injured at the weekend, I have no idea whether he was or not. But Aaron Wan-Bissaka um, looks to me like a player that United might be considering letting go. Mm. I think that he has had some issues with um, some of the stuff that's been going on at the football club. Um, um, you know, I think he has, you know, uh, uh, I'll choose my words properly here, but I don't think he's been thrilled with some of the decisions that have been made behind the scenes. Obviously, yeah. um, you know, there's a contract issue. When Ten Hag first came in, he was not thrilled, wasn't sold on Wambasaka. Wambasaka eventually worked his way into the team. Um, is a very, very good stand-up one-on-one defender. But there's other areas of his game that he is really lacking in, in my opinion. I think he loses concentration at times. I think um when you need its weaknesses on set pieces, they can't afford this. I think that Newcastle goal, you know, where um, uh, on, uh, yes, Andy Gordon yes. comes over Shula, where he's not paying attention. We've seen this a few times. He's not alone in that, to be fair. Um, and I just think United now with a much more, have a much more ruthless, um, you know, evaluation process where it's like, look, you know, this you're, you're being judged solely on your, um, you know, your, your football. And I have a feeling that he is someone United will look to move on in the summer. Yeah. It probably, um, obviously that could all change depending on manager, things like that in terms of preference of player. As of now, you know, Diogo Dallo is very clearly the main choice for the position and who will likely play most of the season. He's, I think he's improved a lot. I think I had concerns over some of the thing, some things at times, the same sort of factor, losing focus defensively, um, things like that. I thought against Wolves, there were some things he could have done better, especially upset pieces where he's sort of stuck on the line and not challenging the player in the box. But I thought against West Ham, he was very good. He was very very good. It might have been his best game that I've seen this year, in my my opinion. Um, He cut back on and and, um, who was it was straight through your goal? Yeah, he he, 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 yards. And I didn't expect that. It was a it was a great moment because they were through on goal and and I thought they were going to get a clean shot off. Um, I don't have much confidence in Onana to stop that shot. So it was a it was a good it was a very good moment from from Diogo Dallo and and a good game in general. He's been improving in the build up. Uh, he looks a lot better and more confident playing in this current team and setup. It's a tricky situation, but I think we're going to see a lot of players shifted out, and I think that. 
it's probably easier to complete kind of the whole rebuild aspect of things when, you know, your whole rebuild aspect of all of this by just letting some of these players who are kind of in limbo go, you know, Aaron Wambasaka being in that situation where it'd be easy to just let him go and keep the wages. The only question that you have is how expensive is a replacement and is it yeah. going to be someone of better quality? Would you be better off a player who has zero amortization left after this summer, getting him a new contract? Um, and if you think, well, I guess the question is, if you think Diogo Dallo is good enough to be the starter, then you're probably better off re-signing Aaron Wambasaka and not spending the FFP space on new signing costs, you know, millions per year on the on the fee for a player who has no amortization left, who's, who's essentially paid off after this year. Um, that that's kind of the consideration, but I think that's a little bit is, is he's in one of those situations similar to Rafael Varane, I believe, where it's going to depend what happens this summer with the manager and with all of that. And and it's it's a yeah. bit tricky. I think also Juan Bersaka, you know, has, he has a part in this too. You know, does he want yes, to send a contract and, and sit on the bench the second choice? Yes. I don't think Joe Dallo is, is, is a starting right back myself. I think both of them are backup right backs, in my opinion. Right. Uh, and that is the problem is that they need a right back. Um, uh, I think also you need to have a lot of players out on loan, which will help with the FFP if they can sell Brandon Williams. You know, the number of those young players that they have out on loan, the big decisions to make, obviously, over Jaden Sancho, Mason Greenwood, who scored at the weekend, a big decision to make there. Um, I think there is potentially in a, a lot of revenue that could be generated by player sales. Um, one of the things that is very different, obviously, under Enios is that there is no more of these huge lucrative contracts being given out where you can see that they're focusing on high-earning players that aren't given um, you know, enough back that justifies those wages and you're no longer getting contracts just because United don't want to send a replacement. This this whole evaluation process is completely different. So I think that... Um, Maybe two years ago, Juan Basaka would have already been signed on a new contract, not mm -hmm. just yeah. Um, You know, he, he's got the same amount of time left on his contract that Eric Ten Hag has, and you need to have to make a decision there. And Ten Hag himself has a decision to make because yep. let's say you need to agree keep Ten Hag as the manager. Ten Hag's going to have a very different role at Manchester United than what he had before. So all of a sudden, you know, this autonomy over transfers. Also, you know, some people, some rumours that he's not particularly thrilled about what United will have budget-wise this summer. Um, that will have to be determined. But I think both Ten Hag and United have a big decision to make. And I think that decision will definitely come before the end of the season. Yeah, I do. And I think the only reason why it's, it's continued to appear in limbo at the moment is because the Ineos ratification hasn't, of course, yet occurred. And so this all completely and fully falling under the football purview, uh, nothing can happen. And so you're not even going to see leaks. You're not going to see anything. Um, you're not going to see much happening at all until uh, until that is done, which should be very soon. There's this boat today and, and all of that, but that is essentially the, the first thing, um, that needs to happen is, is that, and, and those are the, the big decisions they have to make 
pretty much right away because they're going to determine everything downstream from that, essentially, you know, making the top to the next layer, to the next layer, to the next layer of what happens from top down, everything below the CEO, that's got to all happen pretty quickly. But yeah, it is, you know, you had the article from, from, uh, from a guy who's pretty close to Ten Hag, I think historically since his tenure here about concerns over how the transfer backing has worked and how it might work moving forwards. And you could see a little bit, and I've, I have mentioned this being potentially one of the major sticking points, and I think it is on both sides, a little bit of framework set up that could allow for Eric Ten Hag to have a bit of a graceful exit, which I think is fair considering the situation. If he does leave and if he does depart, that it is done on a mutual basis in terms of a disagreement over how things are going to move forward under a new regime and it's not what he signed up for. And, and that's all well and good. I would have no, I wouldn't like begrudge him that. And I wouldn't say I'll have it out for blood. Like if he ends up leaving, that has to be the sacking and all this, you know, crap thrown at him about the whole thing. Um, and that would from his side, allow him to get, you know, be in a better position for future jobs and other positions that are out there and all of that. So I could see that, um, you know, that, that, uh, could be part of the situation that occurs, um, there, but yeah, these are, these are big decisions that have to be made in general for a lot of things. And, and it's like a, it is a big snowball effect, whatever they decide I all the way down with, through so many players. With Ten Hag, James, in many ways, um, the, the, what's happened this, this season has negated what happened last season with the credit. So in my opinion, yeah. What happens between now and the next two months will determine whether he keeps his job or not. I mean, it's stating the obvious, but what I mean is um, if he goes on a good run and you need to play good football in the qualified for the Champions League, I think that he should keep his job. I think that he has illustrated that once I get my best players back, then United started to look like a football team in the way that they should. You know, some of the questions we've been asking, has it been injuries that have been the result of United's perform? Has it been tactics? Has it been other aspects that are going on behind the scenes? Do the players still support him? You know, is he capable of getting Manchester to play in a certain way? You know, if he qualifies for the Champions League and if he gets United playing well, where they're attractive to watch, where they're competitive in big games. You know, we're not looking at this, you know, top nine situation where they're beating one team in the top nine. If he really starts to show progress on the field, I would 100% be in favour of keeping him. There's no guarantee that the guy any of us want to bring in, whoever their guy is, you know, is going to be successful. And so, you know, I think that... Um, it's you know you look at Chelsea, and you have to to me, and I don't think any of us will make this mistake. I think they're obviously have much more experience in running a, a, a sports team, but you know I think that um, when you, 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 you clubs like United and Chelsea, where you have all this convoluted power, and you've got these people making decisions, these people making decisions, it's really easy to fail. I mean, Pochettino is clearly a very very good manager, very very good coach. But you need all the other things behind the scenes working properly too. I think um, with Ten Hag, I I supported him. I have concerns, which you know I, I still have. But I think if he can get United in the Champions League, he should keep his job. Yeah, 
I would agree with two caveats, which is one, regardless of results, he still is going to have to agree to a new structure. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have to watch the state too. Yes. Yeah. And, and then the second aspect of it that we're not going to know is within that new structure, how do they feel he would be willing to work with the players that he hasn't signed? Because that has been a bit of one of the complaints is that, you know, a degree of, of, you know, we'll call it favoritism or call it comfort or whatever you'd want to call it. I'm not even saying it as an SLA criticism. It's understandable um, to focus on, you know, certain players a bit more than others. I think part of the injury issue has almost forced the opposite because it's been mostly all the players he signed that have been uh, out or a lot of the players that he signed that have been out Casemiro, uh, Lissandro Martinez, um, you know, outside of Anthony, who has now effectively been dropped. I mean, after scoring against Newport, he was still not starting. And I thought that was a very positive sign because Garnacho has really owned that position, like we talked about. And so that's the other aspect of it that is probably not really something we can gauge as fans because I don't want to rumor on it negatively either. Um, but they would have to see that there's a willingness then. It's not like a begrudging acceptance that I'm not going to do transfers and then, you know, you're going to have to really get on with the players that we bring in and you can't piss them off. You can't be like, I don't like that guy. See you later. And, and, and not want to deal with them because that has happened at clubs with certain managers who are a bit tough to deal with. And the manager would always loses their job in that case. And it's not really a factor of player power. It's, it's club power, right? They, yeah. they want to be able to spend money and bring people in and not of have course. them be wasted. But I, I still think Ten Hag should not have players foisted on him. I still think he should sure. be part of the selection process. That said, I want to say in this guy, well, I don't care whether you want him or not, you're going to coach. I don't think that should happen. I think that Ten Hag should be part of that process where he has an important say. Because ultimately, it's his job. It's going to depend on if these players aren't successful. And if these players are not coming to the club because of Ten Hag, they have to want to play for him. There has to be, mm -hmm. yeah. because ultimately they're still answerable to the manager. And so to me, I think uh, I agree that clearly it's not just a 10 hog decision. Um, and United have to recruit below the first team in such a way that has nothing to do with 10 hog. The recruitment at yeah. youth, youth level, all that has nothing to do with 10 hog. Um, so I think uh, for, for that, you know, when it comes to the big players in the first team, he should obviously be part of of that process and of course anyone there is no top club now where managers have sole control over transfers mm -hmm. so uh, ten hog would obviously have to i think that may be the part where he has some areas of concerns is how much of a say does mm -hmm. he have and um you know how much weight does his opinion carry when it comes to sound players um i think as i was saying this weekend is crucial for United. If they can go and win against Villa, right, um, and play well, you know, have, have, however they get it done, they can go get a win against Villa. I think, and maybe I'm wrong here, I know we've had this moments many times during the season, but I do think that could be really pivotal. I think that is the type of game where if United won, it would give them enormous belief that, the, that United are, are, are getting 
back to their best with the players coming back that you know this is not just a you know a, a, a you know a, a, a victory where, pain, you know, yeah. yeah it's 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 not you know an insignificant victory where it's not really indicative of anything i think if they can win this weekend that's the type of win that you know it would take a lot of confidence from they have to shore up defensively uh, Villa are very, very good going forward. They scored five, of course, at the weekend away to Sheffield United. Um, Martinez is a huge, huge loss. And this is where I do yeah. feel a bit sorry for Ten Hag because that, to me, of all the players you don't want to lose, Lissandro Martinez is the one. The difference between Martinez and the United team and that is massive. Like, yeah. Probably, in my opinion, more than any other player. And I don't think he didn't have anything like Lissandro Martinez in terms of his quality as a footballer, in terms of his organization, in terms of his leadership, in terms of his, you know, the 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 influence on other players, the influence on how you need to play, how they play it from the back, because he's not just a good defender, he's exceptional at building up play. I mean, the first goal of the weekend, Martinez, Casemiro wins the ball, but the the, the move starts with Martinez. Right, and he's just so important. We saw it against Wolves; he gets taken off. You know, he can see two goals. He is absolutely pivotal. He needed being out for eight weeks is really, really cruel luck. Yeah, it is. Uh, I would say, in my opinion, that Lissandro Martinez is United's best player. Like when you look at, obviously, it's hard to compare positions, but I think Lissandro Martinez is the only player where I am sure when he's on and not injured. He's probably the best or in the top two or three center backs in England. Undoubtedly, he is incredible. Um, and he brings a lot of qualities. Like you said, the, the leadership. I mean, in the game, I even noticed there was a point, you know, I thought Casemiro was maybe one of the negatives again a little bit. Maybe. I thought he was a bit better. I thought he was okay, but there was a, a few moments after United scored the first goal up through about halftime, they actually struggled pretty badly against West Ham. West Ham were, were pretty well controlling the game, creating chances, um, mostly set pieces, but that's what they do, you know, with Ward Browse. I mean, that's pretty normal. And there was a few moments where both Bruno and Lissandro Martinez were telling Casemiro to calm down because he would do a bit of the thing where he gets on the ball and just launches it, which Bruno does himself too many times, of course, but Bruno's kind of taking it backwards, taking it slow. And there, there was a moment where Lissandro was calming Casemiro down and instructing him. And and this Casemiro being an you know the, pretty much the most senior player on the team, um, uh, someone with the leadership abilities, because Lissandro Martinez is not old for a footballer to be instructive to anybody and everybody is something that I think is missing from the other players. You know, Rafa Varane is a good player, but I don't think he's ever been that much of a vocal leader on the pitch you know, in terms of instructing and pointing, things like that. Harry Maguire has been, yet sometimes yes, sometimes no. And Bruno Fernandes is, is, a, bit, is a bit different of a, of a player. So, yeah, I think Lissandro brings a lot of qualities that you don't get anywhere else. And I think it is, it is no accident when they play better when he is on and worse when he's off. And I, I would agree. If there was one player I was going to say, I'm going to start my team, with it be Lissandro Martinez in, in this United squad for sure. He's got every quality you kind of adore in a footballer from any generation, frankly. I think he'd be exceptional. I think if you look at that Wolves game, free kick, Onana comes, no man's land, and you can almost see Onana PTSD from the first game. 
right? We never played against Wolves. Do I go through this guy? He sort of half-heartedly came, falls over his head when Massange uh, kicks off the line. Of course, now you need to play Wolves at the week or uh, Villa at the weekend were, in my opinion, not just Onana to be fair. The two goals they conceded from set pieces, which Massandro Martinez really helps in that organizationally and other other ways, um, is a big concern because to me, Massandro Martinez is a player that is you know maybe the most pivotal player for um for for ten hag and yes i know he's been criticized over anthony but i think onana is his biggest gamble and i am really really concerned but i don't want to pick on him too because i want him to be successful but the goals that you need to concede with him it, to me look like basic fundamental goalkeeping um gaps you know he's poor on crosses, right? Um, he's you know he like he, he, the, the goal, the third goal at Wolves scores. Um, you know he's could beat on his near post, right? And and we see him conceding goals every week. Where I'm like, I think you should do better. You know, um, uh, he really concerns me, and I I um, I had a decent game against West Ham at the weekend. I'll give him that. And I, I really hope that he um, is successful. But I, I'll be honest, he does not fill me with confidence. And I think for Onana performance against Villa, you know, to lose that game just saps the confidence all over the football team. Yeah. yeah, I agree. You really don't want to see that because, you know, goalkeeper mistakes are the types of things where it's like, what do you, you know, they're almost a bit on an island. There's nobody else involved in it. It's very rare that a player on their own makes a mistake out in the, the 11 or the 10, rather. That is just like, that's it, and it's a goal. And players miss shots, attacks all the time, right? It's a volume thing when you're trying to score goals. But with a goalkeeper, I mean, <laughs> Tenog's first season, that second game when when David De Gea lets in the shot from long range right under his gloves against Brentford, mm. the collapse was practically inevitable once that occurred. You mm -hmm. could see how much it rattled them. They were totally off from that moment on. And then the pass to, to Erickson that was completely ill-advised results in a second goal, and it was finished. You could tell that game was over. There was nothing they could do to get that confidence back. And sometimes with a keeper, it's like that because you want it, you hope to have someone who's not going to on their own make mistakes there um and give up goals and, and it's happened too many times this year so yeah it is worrisome i am worried you know and and it's it's like you just hope there's not going to be another moment that spoils a lot of the good feeling a lot of the good things that are happening elsewhere um but i would say with the team that we have now that is my biggest worry too would be a goalkeeper you know with the 11 that we expect to turn up to villa the amount of goals he's conceded, United have conceded this season, you know, makes awful reading. And this we've seen so many times where United will be playing well, you know, create chances, everything's going great, and then some inexplicable shot goes into the back of that and completely deflates, you know, I'm, I'm specifically thinking with Champions League, you know, Galatasaray, you know, stuff that you expect your goalkeeper to be able to save. And it completely changes the whole you know, the whole trajectory of the game it completely changes the momentum it changes everything and for the outfield players I'm starting to notice um, 
a bit more of a, a lack of patience, shall we say. I mean, go back to that Galatasaray goal. Take a look at Bruno Fernandes, what he does mm-hmm. when he comes in. And what he, uh, just because he's real, he's upset with Onana. Almost yeah. contempt. Like, this is ridiculous. You know, I like him uh, as a human being. I want the lad to succeed. He had a really poor AFCON as well. Yep. And I'm going, a goalkeeper can get, a bad goalkeeper can get you the sack. Jim, uh, Jim Leighton almost got Alex Ferguson the sack. You know, we had to leave Jim Leighton out of the cup final replay. Uh, Leighton never recovered. His relationship with Ferguson never recovered. You had to win the cup final replay and they uh, keeps Ferguson in the job. Les Sealy comes in and maybe history would have been completely different if he stands by his goalkeeper. To me, this is a fan 10 hog. This is a massive risk. And I mm-hmm. think that Onana's form is going to be pivotal on whether Ten Hag is still United manager come the summer. Because if Onana's form is... You can get away with bad form with David De Gea because you didn't sign him. Yeah, But if your replacement is really poor, then I, I think you know those are types of decisions that Ten Hag really couldn't complain about, James, if he lost his job. I, like I say, I don't want to see him lose his job. I don't want to see anyone lose his job. But if that happened, it would be very difficult for him to... You know, I'd be upset, and I mean, this this is a big big issue. Yeah, and you signed another goalkeeper, so you don't really have, you, you know, there's another goalkeeper. He's he? signed. Well, whoever did, you got one. You he, we know he has enough control that he approved the signing, mm-hmm. right? We do know that. There's another goalkeeper there. And the other thing is with that team, can, oh, could oh. he be worse though than the mistakes that Anana has made? And that's the thing, like other right field players get dropped. When they don't yeah, play well. why they goalkeepers are so untouchable? Play. It's yeah, so I understand you want consistency between the sticks. I get that. Yeah. Well, if your goalkeeper is dropping balls in the net, what benefit is that consistency to I you? Know. You know, I like know. I understand you have confidence in him, but so maybe taking him out of the line of fire for a while, saying, you know what, he's injured. Yeah. You know, he picked up a knock, you know, leave him out for a month, you know, just you know, take it. Yeah, when's he gonna catch out. one of those famous Carrington illnesses that so many yeah, and so yeah. <laughs> And so uh, I just I think that um, you know that's that's a big decision. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think I, agree. Uh, I really hope that he is. I, I think when you look at the goals United are conceding, a significant number of them, or because of his he he just he doesn't come off his line. Even when someone's yeah. straight through, you know, I think about the Forest goal away or at home. You know, Awaniwi, um, I think it was, goes straight through, tips yeah. it over. Riccardi goes straight through. He's still kind of on the edge of the six-yard box. Dunk, dips it over him after he goes to ground through. And you see this a lot. And like, these are basic goalkeeping fundamentals. And um, you, they, they get, he's starting to get targeted because Villa targeted him, you know, in the home game. And, you know, these goals, you know, you... you I don't know. We've got to score four goals to win a game. You know that. Yeah, we, we can't keep that up. It's been nice, but yeah, like you know. Anyway, so should I really, do it. You know. Yeah. A uh, couple other odds and ends. Uh, some transfer stuff uh, before the window closed. Um, Isaac Aronson left the football club. Of course, um, lots of fans were upset over that. He was a young player with potential, um, but it was either. Sell him now or lose him for in the summer for basically a compensation fee. And the key in these are the decisions United are saying, okay, 
we're not going to mess with this. We're, we're, we're you know, there's because in the past they just would have kept him. We'd have left in summer. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They'd, they'd be much more ruthless. Plus, you know, I understand we like young talents. We want them all to progress, but most of them won't make it. And if young Aronson wasn't getting into United's first team this season when the whole squad was depleted with injuries, you wonder, you know, how good is it? Well, and, and that's really what it comes down to. That's why he left. They offered him a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't want to accept it. Yeah, he, he wanted to, to leave. Um, it's it, it's going to happen with the youth players. It's going to happen with more. It's not the first. It's not the last. It's going to happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one can debate should he have gotten in the team during this period of time. I think he expected to get some time this year. He hasn't got it. Uh, I think that given that is where we were at, it's the right outcome for all parties then yeah. at that point in time. Um, I don't know if they negotiated a sell-on clause running with him or a buyback clause. A sell-on, but, but no buyback as far as I understand. A sell-on, but okay. no buyback. So, you know, great move for him. You know, goes to Germany, goes to Werder Bremen, decent club. You know, uh, you know, a football club where he's going to play. It's a good move for him. Um, some of the other things that happened, uh, Paul Estri went out on loan to Granada, which... I don't ever expect Fecundo Palestri to be a Manchester United player. Um, I haven't believed that for a while. I think that um, he's a decent young player, but I don't think mm. he has ever... I mean, I, I, I go back to that Galatasaray game. He should have scored, right? Away at Galatasaray, he should have scored. Away at Bayern mm-hmm. Munich. Um, you know, I know he's playing for Uruguay, um, but he's never... I know people might disagree, but he's never really impressed me in the edit shirt where I'm like, I want to see more of this kid. Yeah, I like him. And for a long time, I felt like he never got the chance. But I think he's had enough minutes for me personally where you can tell, is he going to be, a, is he ever going to be up to the United level? Probably not. I don't think, I don't see it there. Um, I think that he's not a bad footballer and I think he, he will have future i mean playing for the uruguay national team is not nothing i think he will make it somewhere i think that the lack of good loans definitely did not help his career development because he looks a few years off where he should be now by his age compared to like there's been no progression since when he was purchased originally um but those are the you know that's so i i think it's very likely that following this he will be sold in some capacity or another but you never know. Maybe he has a, a fantastic loan in Spain and the development shoots to the moon and comes back a different player. But I, I would be a little bit surprised. I think it's a good move either way. And in summer, they'll make a further decision. Donny van de Beek, per <laughs> Donny. So he's been left out of Eintracht Frankfurt's Europa Conference League squad. Um, first two games gets dragged off after 60 minutes. The game at the weekend, he's on the bench, doesn't play at all. Um and not registered for their conference league campaign. Yeah, but then they, they left him out of the Europa Conference League squad. I just, I can't understand this. I mean, at Ajax, okay, fine if you just play well in the Eredivisie, but this kid was exceptional in the Champions League. And it is one of the most puzzling things because he was poor at Everton on loan, right? And you're going, I, if you were to judge Van de Beek on the last three, four years of his career, he wouldn't have a professional contract. Why has this decline happened? It's sad to me. Well, yeah, and I think that there's two factors in it. And one of the major factors that's a little bit less obvious is that he plays a non-existent position in football. 
which is this sort of almost like <laughs> this, <laughs> who know there is none it's not a position you know it, this most similar oh, thing we've seen to it yeah false football it, it exactly is that the most similar thing we've seen to his position is McTominay crashing the box and we've seen how bad that is for the rest of the team when that is like McTominay's only job except McTominay's very good at it and he's big and he's tall and he's physical and he would win off set pieces and he gets these goals and he wins these headers but this like extra midfielder crash in the box late arrivals but doesn't really offer anything else. It is not a position that works in football. I don't see any team playing that except when we did out of desperation with McTominay. And even then he's just better at it than Donny Vanderbeek. So that's kind of how I see it. It's a little bit what he did at Ajax. I think people misprofiled him quite a lot thinking he was like, uh, people used to call him a six. I, he has not a single skill set for that position, not a single ability that seems to match up with that. Um, he is pretty much only capable of playing sideways one-touch passes, which is kind of what you want around the box. But, you know, I don't see a position for him. He's not big enough to be a striker. He's not fast enough to be a striker. He's not physical enough to play deeper in the midfield. So he's just this weird kind of floating extra man that is just not something that I think will ever nail down a place in in, uh, in modern football right now. I think that if he has a poor loan spell at Frankfurt, you know, it should look for a way to cancel his contract and let him go back to Holland or something because uh, I, I, I genuinely feel for him. I just I can't understand how he's declined this much. Um, another one, Jaden Sancho. So Sancho has two assists in three games with Dortmund and is he had 12 goals and six assists in 82 games at United. Um, he's obviously happier. Out there, um, I think we would agree that it's a different standard playing it. You, you know, Bundesliga is a very, very good standard, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying that based on the comments of managers that have worked there, like Ranić and others, um, that have said, you know, the, 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 the like Burnley would never have been at the, um, you, know, you know, when Burnley were close to the bottom at, at the Premier League, saying it would never be the case in the Bundesliga. Um, Sebastian Kell at Dortmund has said there's really zero prospect of them signing him because of what he would cost. Um, do you think, one, there's any way back for Sancho at United? And two, what should they do with him this summer? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's none with Eric Ten Hag here, right? I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, you never say never with those things, but it's pretty clear. I mean, even now Ten Hag is saying, you know, when people ask him about the Rashford thing, um, you know... Uh, he said, you know, Sancho went, was different and this was internal and all that. So clearly it's not a situation where I think Eric Ten Hag has any intention of ever working with him as a player again. And I don't think that's going to change. And I don't think it should in that sense. If a manager is really in that position, I don't think anybody should come in and change their mind about it or, or, or push it. But I also think for Jaden, you know, if you come back to Manchester United, where do you play? Because yeah. Ben Stevenson yeah. is on the left, so he's not going to start ahead of Riceford. And if Riceford doesn't play in the left, Garnacho will play in the left. Does he play yeah. down the middle and you know in a false, uh, you know, you know, in the Bruno Fernandez position? Does he play on the right where it looks like Garnacho's got that lined up? Yeah. You know, Jake Sancho needs to be starting football games, so I'm not quite sure how he comes back to Manchester United and is a starting player every week. Again, sad because a player with immense talent. And uh, I was really excited when United signed him. I loved him at Dortmund. But um, he's going to have to find a solution 
Um, and it's going to be difficult for United because they're going to they 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 risk being embarrassed in this situation because if they sell Sancho on the cheap and maybe he goes to a Spurs or something like that and he turns out to be exceptional, right? United are going to once yep. again get you know you know uh, heavily criticised over selling him too cheap. You know he's only twenty three. He's still there's still a, a you know this whole career pretty much ahead of him, um, but. Uh, even if he has a really good six months for Dortmund, it's still going to be hard to get big money for him yep. this far. Um, but uh, a lot of questions know. that we've asked yeah. here that yeah. don't have clear answers, you know. Well, and I think all of this is you want to be integral to how United recruit over the summer. Another one, Christian Eriksen. Uh, we're, we're almost done here. Um, Eriksen being linked with a move to Turkey before the week, uh, that there went transfer window closes at the end of the week, I believe. And uh, there's been some talk that United would be cons- would, cons- would sell loan him with an option to buy in the summer. I think he's he's he's, he's, like he's only started two right games now. since November. Um, and he's I not coming on as a substitute either. Yeah, and I, I don't think Christian Eriksen will, will be a Manchester United player beyond the summer, no matter what. Yeah. I think he will yeah. be someone that will look to move on. Uh, what do you think will happen with Eriksen? I think he'll probably stay just because. Ten Hag won't want to weaken anymore, um, just in case. You know, I mean, Casemiro. Uh, I'm, you know, there's not still not that many players in the midfield. Amrabat has been, you know, it's probably a bit of a non-factor at this point in time for United. It's not been a successful loan for him, and uh, so I think you'll probably want him just for them to make up the numbers for the rest of the team. But I think he'll go in in summer and and. Um, I'd be surprised if he if he left now, uh, even though there might be interest. I think for him too, at his age, I'm not sure he wants to go to Turkey for six months, you know, and unsettle things. Maybe go to summer and be able to make a bit more of a long term decision about the rest of his career, because his next move is probably closer to his last major club, uh, at best. And so, you know, I, I would be surprised if he if he departs, but. Could happen. I mean, he hasn't been playing, but yeah. Um, if he, if Brentford stay up, it wouldn't surprise me to see him going to somewhere sure. like a Brentford yeah. next season. You know, cup price deal, gain United, get those wages off the books. The other one, of course, lastly before we go is Marcus Rashford. What will happen with Marcus Rashford this summer? Will he will United keep him? Will he not? Obviously, there's the potential that if they were to sell him, it would be enormous FFP boost. Um, there's certainly people very close to Marcus Riceford who feel that Manchester United are trying to force him out. Um, that's not something he particularly he, he wants. Marcus wants to stay at the football club. Um, you know, so I don't know if that is the case. Uh, I'm sure United would say otherwise. He feels like, um, from what I've been told, his role in the team changed to accommodate a number nine from what it was last season, although that hasn't really been mentioned much in the media um but uh clearly united need to find a way in my opinion to um resolve the situation where marcus feels an important part of the squad where he feels valued and where he feels integral to what matches united are doing um that's something many else are going to have to fix quite quickly in my opinion yeah and i i don't think he will go um one because there are very few teams that can afford marcus rashford and two, because if you are trying to build a winning team, you do not sell your best, you know, 27-year-old players. You just don't. Um, 
I understand that the FFP argument and all of that, but I'm, but who are you going to get in that use for sure better in the Premier League? Very few players who have that kind of potential. You have a lot more benefit, and he just signed a contract, right? You have a lot more benefit in trying to make things work for the next and get him going over the next year than you do trying to sell him and replace him now. Um, you still have three years after that if you have to. I don't think that his value is at the highest this going into the summer, you know, off the back of the season. I don't think there's many United players that are. I think it's a little overblown some of the talk from PSG's perspective in terms of their interest in Rashford. They have been in the past. I don't think they're presently looking at him. Uh, I think that most everybody on all sides, including Marcus Rashford, want him to stay. He just signed a new deal. I think it's a little more positive. I think his role in the last few games has gone a bit back to how it was before in this front three. It's, it's, he's not sitting on a touchline. He's narrow, uh, coming into the middle a lot more, doing the things he used to do. He scored his goal, of course, against Wolves right from the center, top of the box. Uh, and I, I think that um, I think he's, I personally think he's going to be somebody that's integral to the next phase of the team as well. I also think, James, we can underestimate the impact that a pressure has on a human being. Yeah. And Marcus is under enormous pressure. Um, he's a homegrown player. Homegrown players are great, you know, when things are going well. But when things aren't going well, they're usually the first ones singled out. I think people underestimate what type of pressure he is. You get idiots saying, well, he's on this much, this much money a week. That does not stop you from being human. You know, there's nothing, there's no no check that you can write. You know, it's, you know what, if I was making this much money, I'm going to get up every day, I'm going to have no pressure. It's just going to be, you know, hedonism all day. You know, I'm going to be, you know, having, the, the you know, no stress. I'm going to sleep like a baby. I'm going, you know, it's just going to be, you know, everyday Shangri-La. Like, it's just not, that's not how life is. You know, it's assumption yeah. that you can reach a certain, you know, wealth threshold where all the, you know, stresses of life, just evaporate and everything's Disneyland every day. That's just not how people, it's not real life. I think we have to be careful sometimes with the type of pressure uh, that we put on players. I mean, I don't know what the threshold is. We criticize players for her performances, but it was clear that people went too far with Harry Maguire. It's clear there is a, a line and that, you know, I think uh, that type of pressure is, you know, it's not healthy for, for, yeah. for and every human being reacts differently. So I really want to see him stay. I want to see him thrive at United. Yep. And uh, I want to see the Marcus Rashford that when he is on form and, and, and he wants it, he's on playable. So hopefully yep. that happens. All right, folks, that'll, that'll do for this week. I'll be back later on in the week with another one of my We Are United podcast. Uh, please tune in for that. Thanks to all of you for your downloads, likes, retweets, follows, subscriptions, all that. Very, very much appreciated. Don't forget support. Our fanzines, Red News, and you know that we stand very, very um, important that you support them. They need the fan support. Uh, thank you to my friends here, James, and thanks to all of you. Of yep. Cheers, bye. See ya. See ya.